mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. American Glutton Podcast has a Patreon. Do you hate commercials? Well, we've got a Patreon. Do you want bonus episodes? That's on the Patreon. Do you want to hang out and chat in our Discord channel? That's part of the Patreon, too. We even have an option where you can leave me voicemails. All on the Patreon. So check it out today. Patreon.com slash American Glutton. We have a Patreon. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show... Please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. American Glutton is brought to you by Trifecta. The biggest factor in weight loss for me has been knowing ahead of time what I'm going to eat and having it ready when I need it. Trifecta meal deliveries have made this completely effortless for me and have been a total game changer in both diet and maintenance. Go to www.trifectanutrition.com slash American Glutton to make your life and physical goals a whole lot easier. Today, my guest is Brian Keene. He is a best-selling author with the books The Fitness Mindset and Rewire Your Mindset. You can find him on Instagram at Brian Keene Fitness. Brian Keene, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Ethan, I am so honored to be on. I'm a big fan of the show, as I said, of you personally, of your work, but love the podcast and the message you've been doing as well. Uh, so we're looking forward to chatting. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk to you too. Um, I, there's a bunch of stuff I'd love to talk to you about, but like the the thing that hits me first that I want to talk because you wrote a book about it is mindset. And I think like, honestly, you know, I've lost weight on lots of different diets and, uh, I've had semi long-term success, but, but, but actual, like the only point that I came to where I was like, oh, I woke up one day and was like, oh, th this is it. Now that doesn't mean I can relax and stop doing this. This is still work, but it, it really was 
almost entirely wrapped up in perspective and mindset. And I'd love to hear what you say about that, because honestly, um, I'm not totally sure how I could tell somebody to change their mindset. It's like a, a very tricky thing to change, I think. Yeah, it's so funny, Ethan, because when I, because I follow the Instagram page and I listen to the podcast and I know your story about kind of rebounding up and down and different things that work for you with nutrition and cycling and different elements of either nutrition or training approaches that potentially work for people. And I've worked for over 10 years in the fitness industry, health industry, wellness industry, helping people lose weight, helping people reduce their body fat. And the reason I talk about mindset so much is because most people, I would say 90 to 95% of people know that if I move more, if I eat well, if I eat less poor quality food, I'll probably lose a little bit of weight. So a lot of us know what to do. It's so the education isn't the issue. It's the application that's the problem. And that's all about your mindset and how you approach it. And when I started off as a personal trainer first, way back when, 10 years ago, 11 years ago at this stage, a lot of my clients knew that, well, I should join a gym. They, they had that box ticked. They're like, I should probably go to the gym or I should do some workouts at home or I should lift some weights or I should do something active and I should make a little bit more effort with my food. But then the weekend would come and they'd fall off track completely and they'd press you know, the panic button and one bad meal would turn into two bad meals, which would turn into two bad days. And then it would come back to Monday and they'd have their hands or head in their hands going, I fell off track over the weekend. I've just eaten everything. And that got me thinking about, right, self-sabotage is a big thing here. Mindset and the way we approach nutrition is a big thing here. And I've heard you say this, and I've heard, I think it was Greg said this on a podcast, the bodybuilder from Canada, that most diets work. That's not the problem. Any diet that you stick to will work. The problem is the adherence over a long period of time. Will it work over the long term? Like I hate things like the Beverly Hills diet. I think they're just the biggest crock. It's and the one worst. Of the, it's the worst, but it can work for some people if it puts them into a calorie deficit. The problem is it doesn't work the long term. There's a rebound effect. There's a downregulation in certain hormones. There's nutrient deficiencies that come with that. All of these hosts of problems. So what I generally get people to consider when it comes to their mindset is there's only three things you need to figure out when it comes to a nutrition or a diet plan for you. And we can unpack it as we go, but do you have a diet plan that's in alignment with your goals? First and foremost, weight loss, fat loss, building muscle, body composition change. Does it fit into that first and foremost? Secondly, does it fit into your lifestyle and schedule? Are you able to stick to this over the long term? Because certain plans, the reason why I think intermittent fasting works so well for some people, I know Kevin Smith was talking about this on your podcast, is because most people can do it. It's quite easy to not eat food in terms of once you get over from that carb burning, glycotic burning, glycotic state to fat adapted state, it's relatively straightforward to follow. So if it fits into your lifestyle and schedule, that'll help. And it has to, in my view, include foods that you enjoy. Like you can eat chicken and broccoli all day long, but you can only do that for maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe a month or two, if you're really disciplined and preparing for a bodybuilding show or a bikini competition or you know a movie role where you have to look a certain way by a certain date but you're not going to be able to stick to that over the long term. So I think once you have those three boxes ticked, it doesn't matter what diet you do, whether it's intermittent fasting, whether it's keto, whether it's clean eating, whether it's paleolithic diet, whether it's counting calories. Now I have my personal and professional preferences, but the truth is they all work. And if you take those three boxes, you at least set yourself up for success from the front end. Yeah. Do you? But do you think like I, I'm sometimes frustrated and listen, 
I'm coming at this from the lens of uh, massive weight loss, right? So I'm not a guy who needed to lose 20 pounds. I needed to lose hundreds of pounds. And so I'm mostly thinking about and empathetic to people who, and listen, I, I, I haven't been to England since before the pandemic. You guys are not as big as we are over here in America. There, there aren't, I mean, I'm sure there's some, but I think the average isn't the same. Like we have this uh, uh, morbid obesity craze now where you're seeing like lots of 400 pound people. When I was a kid, there were not lots of 400 pound people. And so I, I think about diets like keto where I go like, yeah, that's, that's an easy diet for me to follow. I'm, I'm satiated and uh, I, I like fatty food. So that's easy. But when I think about losing 200 pounds on keto, it there's some misconceptions that are being sold to people who are doing diets like that. So that's frustrating to me. If you're if you you, you eat the same thing, there's going to come a point where you're not losing weight anymore, right? If you don't adjust the energy you put into your body. And so I do think that there is some extra um, education that's missing from some of these diets. Like, yeah, you can do, listen, you can lose lots of weight and have fat being the majority of the energy you're intaking, but you could do that with anything. You could have yep. carbohydrates be the majority. And as long as you're in some kind of a energy deficit or balance, you're going to lose weight. So again, I agree with you. The diet doesn't really matter, but I do think like I've talked to people, man, who are just like, it does not matter what or how much you eat. If it's in my four hour uh, intermittent fasting window, I will not gain weight. And that's just not true. No, you know, that's the I think. And this is where there's so many misconceptions out there. And I'm a certified nutritionist. So when I hear somebody saying you can eat as much as you want, as many calories as you want within a window, I'm like, you can't go against the first law of thermodynamics. Like it's energy in, energy out. The foundation, bottom of the pyramid of prioritization for fat loss is an energy deficit, caloric deficit. And I, again, I'm not a calories in, calories out coach. I think they're not all created equal. Of course, broccoli is going to be very different from a chocolate bar in terms of the nutrients in the food and the satiation element and the phytonutrients, et cetera. But you can't get away from energy expenditure and, and calorie expenditure. If you're consuming too many calories, it doesn't matter if that's in four hours, eight hours, 12 hours, 20 hours, too many calories or too many calories on a fat loss plan. And with keto, it's a funny one you bring it up because I know people, keto is one of those that people tend to love it or hate it. Now I, for just to asterisk, for as someone who comes at it from the research side, big fan of it for anyone with epileptic uh, uh, as an epileptic. Sure. I think it's an absolute must know for anyone that suffers or has family members or friends who are epileptics looking into the research around the ketogenic diet. I mean, and that's like, I, let's, uh, let's just say that's why it was created. It was created mm -hmm. specifically for epileptics. It's invaluable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other side of that, and I do ultra endurance events. So I do a lot of ultra marathons, 100 mile ultra marathons, multi-day multi ultra marathons. So I go into ketogenic states when I'm training for these races. As somebody that came from a sports background, I used to be a competitive bodybuilder. I was a professional fitness model, but transitioned out into the world of running. And, and 
adapted my nutrition based on that. But when I think of ketogenic diets for weight loss, I think of it as like trying to hang a picture in your bedroom with a sledgehammer when you probably should just use a normal hammer. Like the tool isn't fit for purpose. It's too extreme. And that can be how a ketogenic diet can be for weight loss. And people will promote all these diets out there. And you have to always ask where the vested interest is in terms of where the promotion is coming from. Is somebody promoting a supplement or they're promoting a, uh, a book? And, you know, and as somebody hands up that promotes books and writes books, but there's always going to be a bias. Like I even have my own bias that if you approach a diet with the mindset, you'll set yourself up for some success. So we all have our own kind of unique spin that we bring to it. But you have to think about it as somebody that wants to lose weight or someone that's listening to this podcast. Well, what's actually going to work for me? And what's the thing that's not just going to set me up for the short term period? I know you talked about it when that there's extreme examples you can do, but if you can't stick to that over the long term, what's the point going up and down? And I think, I can't remember, was it Greg that said this, where he talked about if you're promising five or 10 pounds of weight loss over a month versus somebody who's promising 20 pounds of weight loss over a month, actually as a nutritionist and someone who's a fitness industry professional for the last 10 years, I would always say, well, yeah, go for the five to 10 pounds. That slow drop over a period of time is going to be more sustainable. Whereas most of the general population, and I get it because, you know, if we want to get somewhere, especially when you're in that 400 pound, you can speak to this, Ethan, when you're in that 400 pound plus weight, you know, you want to just, you'll do anything. You're, you're in the, I will do anything to get my weight down. And I'm 100% empathetic to that as somebody who works with those individuals. And again, there's not as many. I lived in California, so I lived in Northern Cal. So it's not a great example, even when I was in the States compared to the East Coast where some of my friends are living. But there's people in Ireland, in the UK, who are in the same boat with that extreme amount of weight to lose. And the same method applies. It's about finding what's going to work for you. But also be aware there's a lot of misconceptions out there, a lot of myths around nutrition, around fitness that is probably important for you to distinguish between what the signal is versus the noise. Otherwise it leads to confusion, which ultimately leads to frustration. Yeah. And, and, and I think the, the point when I, when I'm really trying to use empathy, because of course I do believe that you can lose as much weight as you want and have the bulk of your calories coming in fat. Fine. Mm -hmm. Totally fine. But the thing that was really sold to me with keto, and so this is partially anecdotal, but it's also true to a number of people I know who did keto, was this idea that it doesn't restrict food at all. You you are cutting out one group, but within the foods you're allowed to eat, it's kind of a free-for-all. Free for so for me, as somebody who was massively overweight, I can still eat so much meat and cheese and oil. And, and so it does nothing to my relationship with, uh, the idea of overeating. I'll still overeat and, and sure, I'll still lose weight for a while, but there will come a point where I, I'm not losing weight anymore and I'm frustrated. And now in order to lose weight, I'm cutting calories and doing keto. And it becomes this kind of like, that's not what I was sold. That's not how I was sold this diet. I was sold this diet on sausage and bacon and whole eggs and cheese and steaks at every meal and lobster tails with clarified butter. And now I'm cutting out clarified butter. I'm having less eggs. I'm having less steak. And I'm like doing a diet. You know what I mean? And so I just, I, the, the frustrating thing to me is the, this idea that you can continue whatever behavior got you to being massively overweight, right? If it was, I'm sure for most people, it is overeating. You can continue that behavior, but just eat certain types of foods. 
and your life will your your body will, will become ideal in some kind of like magical way and i go like that's a terrible thing i think to sell to people yeah well you're being sold it's like if somebody brought you into a, you know a used car and they said here's a ferrari you're going to get and then they trade it for a nissan as soon as you bought it you'd be like hold on this isn't what i signed up for and that's what can happen with some of these diets i'm curious ethan what was your food relationship like at the time when you started when you got that realization first and foremost that i've been sold one thing but actually i need to go add something else to this to get my body to stop stalling and my weight to stop stalling how was your kind of food relationship at the time you know, I never, this was a thing and and, it, and it's a weird thing for me too, because I'm a, a recovering addict. And so I, mm -hmm. I completely understand that I have unhealthy relationships with things, right? Like this is something I've worked on a lot. I never really applied that thought process to food. So what I would do is I'd do keto and I would do a quote unquote clean keto where it'd be minimal vegetables lots of good, healthy olive oils, coconut oils, and fatty cuts of meat, chicken thighs with skin, right? Ribeyes, stuff like that. And then I'd get bored and I'd start to go into like pork rinds and uh, really processed salamis and, and cheap, more cheese. And my weight loss would stall and I'd go, no, but I'm still, I'd check. I'm still in ketosis. What am I doing wrong here? Right. And so I'd go like, oh, I need to go back to clean keto. Then I'd go to clean keto. And there would come a point where even doing quote unquote clean keto, my weight loss would stall. And then I'd just start eating less and be hungry. And I, you know, after doing this for a long, frustrating time, I was like, I'm just on a diet. Like I can't fool myself. This lifestyle, this ketogenic lifestyle, I'm no longer losing weight, right? I'm going on 12 mile hikes every day and eating keto and reduce and, and withholding myself from overeating. And it's really hard. And I just was like, uh, this is just a, a diet. You know what I mean? This is not the, the bill I was sold that I would lose all the weight I needed to if I stayed in ketosis. And that's the problem with it. And it's nearly a misinformation on the front end. And when you don't understand, like when I work with anyone that's in that obese category, that's we're not talking 10, 20 pounds to lose. We're talking 100 pounds, 200 pounds plus to lose. The first thing I educate them on is just how calories work. Because even if you don't count calories or make any adjustments, and sometimes I don't, like I have an example. I had a client that I was working with recently who used to eat you know, 10 Mars bars every day after dinner. That was just his routine. It was the two family-sized Mars bars. So a lot of calories. And all we did for his first couple of weeks was, I was like, okay, don't eat 10, eat nine. I was like, keep everything else the same. I was like, I don't want you to change anything. I was like, I just want you to eat nine calories. And he came back in and he was down a couple of pounds two weeks later. Right. And then I said, okay, now we're going to go to eight Mars bars. And he was like, no, no, no. But, but like, if I, if I cut all the Mars bars, I lose a load of weight. I was like, no, no, no. Eat your eight Mars bars. I was like, we're going from now nine now to eight. And he lost weight again because that's how calories work. Now, we eventually got him down to the point where he was actually eating three. And I kept that in his plan for as long as we were working together because he was able to manage that. It was like, oh, actually, I don't want 10 anymore. Like I'm getting nutrients from other foods and I don't feel like I'm being restricted. Like what happens sometimes, like if I say to you, Ethan, don't think of a purple polar bear. The okay. first thing your mind conjures up is a purple polar bear. So if I say, don't eat pizza, don't have beer, don't eat 
cookies or chocolates, you're like, oh, I'd really love a pizza or a beer <laughs> or some cookies or chocolates. So automatically your mind goes into that restrict mode. So you can kind of hack through that. And you said something on a previous podcast. I think it was a solo episode, but it stuck with me because I've actually, I stole it and used it on my show as well because I love it. That addict mindset of one day at a time that, you know, if you think about the next 700 days of being sober, that's, you're going to be like, oh my God, I need to fall off. I've got 700 days. What can I do? But you don't, you bring it back and think, I'll get today right. And I'll stay on the wagon today. And weight loss is a lot like that. It's not about worrying about six months from now or three months from now. It's like, well, what can I do today? I call it the acronym in books. How can I win? W-I-N. What's important now? So what's the thing I need to do now that's going to help me with my weight loss goal? So if you fall off plan, you a tool I give people is, well, reset. You reset and you get back on plan again because it can spiral otherwise. You'll normally have people, and I've been this, I've lived this as a someone that was in competitive bodybuilding, and I've seen it with my clients, so I'm very empathetic to it, where one meal, as I said, becomes two bad meals, which becomes three bad meals, and one bad day becomes two bad days. And I tell people, it's like driving down the motorway or the highway, getting one flat tire, pulling in your car and slashing your other three tires because one went flat. That's the dietary equivalent of self-sabotage where you have one bad meal and say, oh, actually, you know, I call it, you know, bleep it out. I call it pressing the fuck it button where you go, fuck it. I've got, I've had one bad meal. The whole diet's gone. You know, I'll start back on Monday. And that's just small things done consistently well. And ironically, that approach I know alcohol and honest, uh, AA do this as well. It's that, you know, take it day by day. And, you know, if you don't want to slip, don't go to slippery places. There are two things that I think apply heavily to weight loss as well. And it's just getting back on track, setting yourself up for getting today right and not making those massive changes too soon. Like, I think that's where a lot of people fall off with diets, even the ones that are grounded in the most new science that's out there. If you make too many changes too soon, it's a recipe for failure and small, seemingly in changes that wouldn't yield a massive amount of progress in today or next week over a six month period done consistently well, will do that yeah. and will make those changes. And taking that long term view can be helpful, which I know is difficult for people and we can get into that. But I do think it's a success and it's something that you know, you've spoken about when it comes to addiction. And I think it applies here to weight loss, too. Yeah, it's 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 so tricky because um, I don't want to say anything about getting clean and sober is easy. Nothing. It's not easy at all. However, I do find some comfort in abstinence. There is some like some part of me that assumes this uh, identity of like I'm a non-participant in those activities. Right. I do not drink. I do not use drugs. And I don't judge people for doing them. I think there, I know lots of people who drink and consume alcohol and, you know, I, I don't know of any um, junkies that I think very highly of, but I know people who use drugs and, and they still function and have great lives. And, and so I'm not, I don't sit around judging them for me. I can't do that. I can't. So I'm a non-participant and with food, it's like you're always there's never going to be, you know, the only time you're done eating is when you're dead. You're always going to eat. And so like figuring out that plan is really complicated. You know what I mean? And we're flirting with disaster every time. And I know from times that I went out of sobriety and had uh, had to get back on, it, it really was like 
there there wasn't even like you know i had a i had a meal and i realized that this was off plan and i made a quick plan to get back on a bender going out of sobriety could be life-threatening you know like and and i mean immediately right anything with weight it's like kind of the uh the effects are kicked so far down the road that it's like you can rationalize it for a long time um so it just becomes complicated but i totally agree with you this this um and, and i think it it gets tied up with self-shame and and stuff like that when we do something outside of what we had previously decided to do it becomes hard to get back to what we were doing it's that guilt shame spiral i think ultimately considering the emotions that come up either before you set off on a food binge. And again, I think anybody that goes down the road that you went down sobriety and anyone that has the inner power to do that, I think is just incredible. And and I don't mean to downplay it in the comparison, just to give context. It's more to show that there's people out there who have done things that are different outside of weight loss, where there's tools that you could potentially apply within your own weight loss journey for something you're struggling with. But that guilt and shame spiral, it's so it's such a all-consuming feeling with food. And I think that there's two opposite ends of a spectrum that can be helpful. One is building that self-esteem and that self-confidence. And the other is seeing that guilt and that shame when it comes up. And Normally, the first step, and again, there's better people out there to speak on, but I have been working with people with their mindset around food for a long period of time, so I can speak to my own area of expertise, but not demonizing yourself for going off plan or eating a quote unquote bad food. Now, I think the first step towards healing a food relationship is not separating food into good and bad categories. I think, you know, a piece of broccoli is not going to save you from a burning building and a cookie is not going to stab you down a back alley. Like, the the morals we project onto food are our own internal things that we're projecting. Yes, there's food that's low nutrient and there's foods that's low calorie and there's foods that's high nutrient and foods that's high calorie in a combination of both. Broccoli is low calorie, high nutrient. A cookie is low nutrient, high calorie, but it doesn't make it bad or good. The context matters greatly. And the example that I give is if you are somebody who is following a, a calorie plan. Let's just say you want to eat 2,000 calories, 2,500 calories, 3,000 calories, whatever it is. You're trying to lose weight and you want to count calories. That's the method you've decided, I'm going to do this, or a ketogenic diet, whatever it is you've decided. But in this context of calorie tracking, you want to have you know a couple of chocolate bars, like the Mars bars from my client earlier. In this context of his overall plan, his goal was weight loss. He also had a goal of healing his relationship with food. And the two and three Mars bars every evening after his dinner supported that. So those foods now become, quote unquote, a good food in that context because they were helping him hit his ultimate goal at the end. And what it also did was it rewired his relationship with the food and stopped separating them into the good and bad categories, which wasn't helping him and wasn't help was serving him because it, he would eat those foods and guilt and shame would come up as a result of it. And then that spirals out of control. And, you know, uh, the analogy I've used, it's it's like the Hulk in the Marvel movies where he goes from Bruce Banner to the Hulk, where it's just somebody else has taken over. All the food in the fridge is gone. All the ice cream has been eaten. The whole packet of cookies has been eaten. And then you're like, at the end, geez, who, who did that? Jekyll and Hyde, somebody else took over. And that's how it can feel. And that the grounding for that and the foundation from that, from my experience of working with weight loss clients, is that guilt and shame. So re- rewiring that relationship is the first step. And then on the other side is your self-esteem and your confidence. 
And confidence is something that can be quite tricky to build around food relationships and around body composition, but ultimately to build self-esteem and to build self-confidence, it's just repeatedly keeping small promises to yourself. And sometimes when you go off plan, you break that promise. But if you're in a net positive over time where you said, I was going to go for that step count and I hit my step count today, or I was going to go to the gym and do my workout today, or I was going to pre-pack my lunch so that I wouldn't be reaching for the cookies at lunchtime in the office tomorrow or on set tomorrow. And you stuck to that. That's adding confidence over time. I like to picture it like a table. Like if you think about a table, a table with one leg, you can knock it and shake it and it's very easy to move back and forth. But every time you keep a small promise to yourself, you add a small leg to that table and then it becomes harder to knock. Like this is actually the reason why I love the gym and fitness for building confidence in people. That's not because of the weight loss element of it, which can be a side benefit. Like I've had clients who will come in and you, you can, you're living proof of this, Ethan, where you are a different person when you've lost the weight. And people look at it externally and think, well, Ethan's different now. He's lost all that weight. Look how good he looks. He's so much more confident. And yes, there's an element of you drop the weight and feel better about yourself. But it's not about that. It's about who you have to become in order to do that. You have to become somebody who has set these small goals for yourself each day, each week, each month, and had to do it consistently. It's why I love fitness in the gym, because you have somebody that comes in who isn't able to squat the bar or isn't able to bench press the bar. And then over four, five, six weeks, they're able to add 2.5 pounds or five pounds either side. And it's small, gradual increases that builds that confidence. And ultimately, when you combine those two things, healing your food relationship, and again, it's a how long is a piece of string, depending on how long you've had that poor relationship. The analogy I use, it's like digging up the seed from the ground in terms of habit and habit change. It's easy to dig up a seed from the ground. A sapling is harder it's frigging hard to knock an oak tree, something you've been doing for 20 years. So if you have 20 years of poor, poor, poor food behavior, it takes longer to change that habit. But that guilt and shame, healing that relationship with food, mixed in with that self-esteem and confidence, from my experience and the mindset side, tends to be the long-term success recipe for most people with sustainable weight loss. Yeah, I think going back to what you said about good and bad in context, I think that's such valuable thing, something really valuable to talk about because you can find um, uh, literally any, uh, there's t loads of people who will present a, what sounds like a well-researched, rational argument for why something is bad. And, and, and it's been done, you know, in California, there's all kinds of wacky things like cucumbers were bad for a while. You know, I don't know if they still are. Maybe somebody still thinks cucumbers are poison, but like you got, the carnivore doctor who goes around and tells you what's bad and what's bullshit. He says, this is bullshit. And he'll go in and he'll pick up an onion and go like, here's why an onion is poison. Right. And then he'll pick up an apple and go, here's why an apple is good. And I go like, well, you know, the center of that apple's got cyanide in it. You know what I mean? Like, isn't that bad? Isn't cyanide bad? If you ate, you know, a hundred apple seeds at once, you might die of cyanide poisoning. Like that's not good. That's not a good outcome. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't really understand why onions were poisoned from his point of view, but you can find lots of people that'll tell you why eating meat is bad. And, and I think, you know, I have trouble with absolute good and bad in, in any sense, right. For me, I, I, I can't, I think that context really, really matters a lot, but especially with food. Um, you know, a tablespoon of sugar, refined sugar has under 50 calories. A tablespoon of oil has 130, around 130 calories. 
which is better? You know what I mean? What do you want out of it? Right before you work out, maybe you get more out of a tablespoon of sugar, right? And on a day that you're sitting around and not doing much, maybe you get more out of a tablespoon of oil. Who fucking knows? Context really matters. Neither one is good or bad. It's useful to a point within a context of what you want from your body. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I couldn't agree more. I think, as you said it there, and I always use sugar as an example, someone that's diabetic, it could kill them or it could save their life depending on the context. Yeah. Yes. I have a a kid with type one diabetes and we're constantly thinking about how many carbohydrates she's eating and keeping like we've got we've got boxed juice in our pantry as a medicine, literally, because if her blood sugar drops, that's what saves her. So it's this crazy thing. Like she can't have juice. She can't have juice. It'll drive her blood sugar up. Boom. It's low. Got to get her juice. Right. So it's both good and bad. It's it's amazing analogy. Yeah. Well, the thing is with nutrition and I think from all the conversations you've had, Ethan, and from your own experience, it's you can't be black and white in a topic that's gray and people are with diet and nutrition it's all in like i always use carnivore and vegan as two examples like they're on opposites into the spectrum and they're both telling you the same thing so somebody's right or somebody's wrong there's something wrong somewhere but the truth is that it depends on the context in the middle like all meat isn't bad it depends on context you also have to ask are you talking health are you talking weight loss are you talking environmental are you talking that the ecosystem of the world there's so many contexts on top of that and the same with plants, like somebody, a peanut is another example. If you have a peanut allergy, it could literally kill you. Whereas for somebody else, it's a really good snack in between meals. And removing that black and white thinking and applying that gray lens is a useful way, regardless of goal. I think if it's weight loss, fat loss, performance, muscle building, the same message applies. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you got two people and one was trying to handle eczema, nutritionally and the other was trying to handle obesity nutritionally the diets wouldn't necessarily be the same right like the girl who has eczema maybe quits eating refined gluten you know store-bought bread and 
And I, I don't know what else the the autoimmune diets say. Maybe she quits eating lectins. You know what I mean? And 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 the person who uh, is trying to lose weight just reduces the general overall of what they're eating. And they both have good outcomes. If they were to sit there and argue about who's on the better diet, it's like you, you're not trying to achieve the same thing. We, you don't have to be on the same diet. It's so true. And it's funny, you, you've given me kind of an unintentional segue, but I always think of weight loss and obesity. And this is something that from a little bit of cursor knowledge on my side as a fitness professional, one of the most underutilized tools when it comes to weight loss is it can, yes, diet is obviously 80% of it. But I think people neglect strength and resistance training and how that works for metabolic rate and increasing and boosting metabolism. Like when I see, and this was really bad when I lived in the States, like metabolic boosting teas and all of these supplements. It's like this boosts your metabolism right. and this will impact metabolism. I'm like, right, your metabolism is a very complicated thing. It's not going to be take this tea and it boosts it by 23%. It's, it's just not going to work like that. But what does boost your metabolism on top of, I think sleep is something that's very underutilized as well in terms of sleep quality, but resistance training and strength training. And the analogy I tell people is when you do strength training or resistance training, when it's with weights or even with your body weight, especially if you're in the overweight category, 400 pounds, 300 pounds, your body is a lot of resistance by just moving that amount of weight. But what resistance training does is it increases your metabolic rate. It means that you burn more calories while you rest. So doing strength training and resistance training is like the calorie burning equivalent of making money while you sleep. And when people start to think about that, it gives you this kind of leg up in terms of, well, what's the thing I could add as opposed to diets? Diets sometimes is what do I remove? It's what do I remove from my life? What foods do I remove to, to kind of get my weight down? But sometimes it's what you add in on top of that. What foods can you add that will keep you satiated between meals and make you feel good? But also what other elements of your life can you add, such as a resistance program or a training program? And I think with weight loss, particularly extreme weight loss, people don't go to training first, nor should they. Diet is, I think, more important. But it's not something that I would neglect either because I think it sets you up for success because the more calories you're burning and the higher your metabolism is, the easier you're going to find the entire process. And that process becomes addictive. Like, you know, progress is addictive. Think about the times before you stalled. You feel great. You're feeling confident. You're feeling motivated. You're feeling driven because you're stepping on a scale and the weight is down. Or you're looking in the mirror and you're like, wow, my body fat is lower or my clothes feel looser. That can get it. That's addictive. And that can go to an extreme to the other side as well. But for the most part, it's supportive. And I think if you add in that resistance training, looking at your nutrition, and then obviously sleep quality, I think they're the trifecta. You get those three things right more often than not. And you don't have to get it hundred percent. Like I think there's another misconception with weight loss. And you can speak to this, Ethan, that people don't have to have it right hundred percent to lose weight. If you are stepping on a bodybuilding show or trying to break a three hour <laughs> running a marathon. Yeah, you need to get stuff dialed in and be 100%. But for weight loss, 80% is more than enough for the majority of people. So that gives you that little bit of wiggle room. Now, don't let yourself off to, you know, go do whatever you want, whenever you want. But I think that approach and knowing that gives people and allows them to take some of that self-imposed pressure off, which can also set you up for success with your diet. Yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, two different points of view I have on the first part of what you said is in 2009-10, I did uh, extremely limited carbo uh, sorry calorie 
dieting with a massive amount of cardio, right? And I mean like six to eight hours a day cardio. I just, I just, a job I had been on for years ended. I, I, I wasn't like desperately trying to find another job and I just rode a bike, right? And ate almost nothing and lost so much weight, but found that like, if I didn't ride a bike one day and I ate even as much as I'd eaten the day before I would put on weight, weight came back real quick. I, I felt frail. I felt weak. I didn't feel good. I didn't have a positive body image really because I'd wasted a bunch of muscle. So then I spent a long time in the gym doing resistance training. And the two things are like, if you, if you have this really kind of macro view of, of taking a long time, allowing it to be slow and you do resistance training, it, you, I find that I feel a lot better and that I, I have a body proportion in the way that I want to now. Now, I'm still a very big guy and not everybody has to be as big as me. And that's fine. That's like an individual preference choice. But I do know that when I like use my muscles um, and another thing I thought of when I was 500 pounds, I became very, very good at not moving because one, it's it's at my energy. And two, I would sweat a lot. And so like if I just stood and animatedly talked to somebody, I would start sweating. It would sweat through my clothes. It was embarrassing. It was uncomfortable. So I got really good at being still right. I would anywhere I would go, I would find a place to sit. Um, I didn't talk with my hands. I didn't move a lot. This is something I've actually had to work on is just moving in life, just parking a little bit further away, going on a walk every day with my dogs, talking animatedly, literally just moving my hands more because I worked to not do that. And so it's not innate in me anymore to move. And that kind of movement is also a big boon to eating up calories and to increasing the metabolism and, and having uh, more weight loss with less sacrifice in food. Yeah, they're what I call low-hanging weight loss fruit. The things like parking further away or taking the stairs instead of the escalator or the lift, those things all add up, particularly when you're four or 500 pounds because that amount of weight that you're moving, like that is equivalent for some people. I remember one of my girls, when she came to me back when I used to do one-to-one -one personal training, all my clients are online now, but our entire first hour of our session, she was 350 pounds small girl, short girl, very overweight. Our entire session for the first hour was literally going up the gym stairs and back down the gym stairs. Took yeah. an hour. Took took an hour because she had to stop and take a breath every time. She couldn't go upstairs. And she's still one of my favorite clients because she was the one that first time when she was able to sit on a plane and she was like, she sent me a photo of her um, belt buckle. And she's like, this is the first time I've been able to buy one seat on a plane. I used to always have to buy two seats on a plane. Yeah. And it's just, it's incredible what that can do. And that she does CrossFit now. This was back in 2015. She does CrossFit now. So she's, she's, she trains hard and something that comes up a lot. And you kind of touched on it there with the biking for multiple hours. People will ask, well, what's better for weight loss, cardio or resistance training? And the answer is they work in different ways. They're both really effective, but they work in different ways. Cardio and another misconception people have, and people will say this to me, they'll say, well, cardio burns fat. I'm like, cardio doesn't burn fat. Cardio burns calories and burning more calories can support that deficit, which can support reduction in fat levels. And that's where cardio can be helpful. So if you go into the gym, 
people will sometimes look at fitness watches or trackers on their phone and go, well, I did an hour of cardio when I burnt 500 calories and I did an hour of resistance training and I only burnt 250 calories. Right. I need to do more cardio. And I, I totally get like it's it's one plus one equals two in their mind, but it's not one plus one equals potato. Like it's it's actually not. It's 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 completely off in terms of how your body physically responds to those two different stimuluses. And the truth is, if you combine both, you get better results because the cardio will help you burn more calories in that session. But that resistance training will help you burn more calories while you're resting. So when you're sitting at home watching House of the Dragon or watching My Name is Earl or watching whatever it is you're watching on TV, you're going to be burning more calories as your body, as that metabolic rate has increased. And it's that combination on top of obviously nutrition to not overplay it. Like you can't just train the same as what you said. The you can do five or six hours of training every day, eat very little food, but it's not going to be sustainable over the long term. It at that point too, and I'm curious, Ethan, from you because I know your photo shoot and you had those when you ate the meals, you you would up like nine or ten pounds off the back of that. It's also important to establish, and I'm not talking for people who are 500 pounds, 400 pounds, but for the general person who's looking to look better, there's a big difference between weight loss and fat loss. They're two different things. Weight loss is reducing the numbers on a scale. Fat loss is reducing the amount of fat in your body. So sometimes people actually have a fat loss goal, but they're tracking weight loss and then they're getting annoyed or they're getting frustrated that they're not progressing. And they don't think about things like obviously stress, so cortisol, and um, the amount of sodium or salt you've and all of these things impact weight loss. Building lean muscle tissue on a resistance program can keep weight loss the same, although fat loss will go down. So if you're only tracking weight and you're not in that obese category, it can lead to frustration. The analogy I use, it's like tracking the number in your bank account to see how good you are in bed. I'm like, they're two different numbers. Right. Like You need to track the correct metric based on what you're looking to achieve. So if fat loss is your goal, focus on that. Take your photos, look at your clothes, take your measurements, use your calipers. If weight loss is the goal, then you know use the scale religiously as your tracking metric or a combination of both. But I think that's an important differentiator to make as well. Um, just because I was curious, because I know it happened to you when you did the photo shoot where the weight went straight back up. Body fat obviously didn't climb in a day or two, but weight went up nine or 10 pounds. Yeah. It, you know, weight is a really tricky metric for me, even to this day, right? Because uh, if I, if the, if, even if I'm maintaining and I'm actively maintaining, if I get on the scale and see that my number is the same or up a pound, God forbid, if I had sodium the day before or excess sodium, it's devastating. The same number is devastating to me. I always want to be paid with a lower number and that's not healthy. And I recognize that that's not healthy. And I have a conversation with myself like a crazy person almost every time I get on the scale. I prepare myself. I go, what if it's this? How am I going to react? What if it's this? How am I going to react? And then no matter what, I get a feeling when I get on the scale and it's either a negative feeling or a positive feeling. And then I talk to myself about how this feeling is invalid and it doesn't matter. And I'm doing my program the correct way. And I need this feeling to go away because I cannot have this feeling like run my life. I just can't. You know, I got very, very lean and it was really, really extraordinarily hard. Now, I will say that like losing 250, 300 pounds is extraordinarily hard. But there's like a kind of a happy, happy medium where from the right light, my abs are visible. They're nowhere near as visible as they were when I was super, super lean. Um, but like 
the trade-off on my life is still hard. Maintaining this weight is still hard, but it's not, it doesn't involve as much hunger and as much uh, crabbiness and crankiness as trying to get as lean as I got. And I, 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 I would warn people away from, uh, try, you know, trying to look like a fitness model on, I, on Instagram, if you're, if you're coming from massive weight loss, people can do it, but maintaining that is, is much harder in my opinion than even the bulk of weight loss. Because now when I go into a, a, a fat, fat loss phase, it's not really hard. I'm not that hungry, right? I'm occasionally a little bit hungry, but it's not that hard. I'm doing it very slowly and gently. When you get deep into single digit body fat percentages and, and maybe, maybe people with like magical genetics don't experience this, it's really, really hard. And, and I just don't know that that should be a, um, a great goal for people. You know, like when I got as lean as I did, there was a minute when I gained nine pounds in a day where I was like, wait, no, I want to maintain this. And I realized like, that's, that's not realistic for me. It's not the life. I, you know, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather now. I can't, I, you know, I, um, maintaining that level of, of, of body fat percentage for a long time was just unrealistic. I think finding the sweet spot is key because the problem with weight loss, and I think you can apply this to numbers in your bank account. I think anything that's number driven particularly is that I'll be happy when fallacy. I'll be happy when I lose 100 pounds. Oh no, I'll be happy when I lose 110 pounds. No, I'll be happy when I lose 120 pounds. And that bar consistently moves. And it's very important to know that, that at some point you are going to, either continue down that path of I need to lose more, 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 or you need to establish, well, where's my sweet spot? Where's the part where I feel like actually I've got slightly visible abs at certain light. I feel good here. My energy is good. My sex drive is good. My sleep is good. My workouts are good. And I'm relatively healthy and I feel good here. Yes, I'm not as lean as I once was, but I'm also nowhere near as heavy as I once was. And there is a sweet spot. And I think it is important for people to think about. And the problem is, it's so easy in as hindsight bias when we look back. And I've done this in other areas of my life, more so with the body composition side, where I'm like, I'll be happy when I'm, you know, 6% body fat and, you know, 180 pounds. I'll be happy when I'm 190 pounds and 6% body fat. I went in the other way, just in a different part of body composition. And at some point, you have to, you can only figuratively get hit in the head with a hammer so often before you realize why your head hurts. And you're like, okay, I'm the problem here. My approach is the problem here. I need to take a new way of looking at this. And I think weight loss is important that there is a sweet spot for everybody. And yeah, you might need to do what I did or what Ethan did to get there and find out for yourself. But you can also learn from our mistakes and set that sweet spot. When you get to the point where you're feeling good in how you look, you're not restricting massively. You can go out and have a meal with friends. You can have a couple of beers or have some wine, whatever it is you're into. And it doesn't impact your life quality. It's just about maintaining them because I think, and you said it there, which I'm actually interested to hear your viewpoint on this, because I would have always said from my experience of working with clients that I've used the analogy of weight loss, like pushing a tire up a hill, that it's really hard to push it up a hill, but it's actually relatively straightforward to keep it up there and easier to maintain. But you said maintaining is harder. Is that something you still find? You know, I, 
I, I it's not I, I don't I, I just don't want to trick anybody into the idea that it's immediately easy today. It's not hard at all. It, it's uh, today. It's life. It's become life. And it's it's routine is super helpful. If I go and travel somewhere and I know that I've uh, eaten more than I should have or in portions that are not super according to what my maintenance plan is, then I get that back in order very, very quickly. So today it's not hard at all, but that was not very fast. It didn't come quickly. Um, I had so many experiences with regaining weight that I, I, when I got very serious about maintenance, it was just as hard as any diet. In fact, harder because I had this idea stuck in my head that now I'm not in a diet. I'm, now I'm not on a diet anymore. And in fact, for me, eating according to maintaining my 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 body size currently is dieting to some degree. I will uh, kind of default to overeating. I will default to um, eating to past the point of feeling satiated. And so it, it takes a little bit of cognitive effort to go like, no, I'm going to eat what I've portioned for myself and then I'm going to stop. Uh, but that effort has lessened and lessened and lessened. And so, yes, I, I do agree as of today, but I've been doing this for a few years now. It's like not, it's not something I'm really concerned with. I mean, it's something I'm definitely thinking about. I'm making different choices. Uh, you know, I go to a restaurant and I look at the menu and, you know, pasta carbonara jumps out at me as something delicious. That's the fattiest, carbiest meal I could think of or a pizza. That's not stuff I really eat anymore. You know, I try to get a, a, a filet instead of a ribeye because it's leaner or egg whites in the morning at a diner or something like that. I ask for my toast to not be buttered. These are choices I'm making now kind of instinctively that I had to really think about in the beginning. Yeah, I call them in books the right automatic food choice when you just automatically reach towards a certain food after a certain level of conditioning. How long, Ethan, until that became your new normal where this was kind of the automatic approach that you took with nutrition? Was it, it was obviously in the years, was it in the years bracket? Yeah, it was. You know, the I will say the the first iteration of it I didn't know about apps. I didn't know about any of that stuff. So I had a book, Calorie King book, a paperback book, and I would go through it and I would weigh everything and I would measure everything. I don't weigh anything now. Nothing gets weighed now. I can eyeball a four or eight ounce piece of chicken like it's nobody's business. And then I don't care if I'm a little bit off one way or the other. You know what I mean? It doesn't it doesn't matter. In the beginning, I was very exact. I was doing long math every day and I would write everything out and then I would get different figures and I would have to redo everything. And it was really tough. I think with apps and all the technology that's around today that that either might have existed but doesn't exist quite in the iteration that it exists in today, it, it, it's probably a lot easier. You know, I heard that they have a a scanner and you can scan barcodes that didn't, that didn't exist or I didn't know about that in the beginning. So, but it was kind of years before I was like, you know, I'm not really thinking about it. When I go to the grocery store, I'm buying leaner meats by default. I'm not thinking about it. I'm buying 0% Greek yogurt by default. You know what I mean? Um, 
I'm buying lots of fruits and vegetables by default. And then that's what I'm eating primarily. And that's what's keeping me satiated. Um, but, but my instinct before was uh, high fat, high carb. And so I find it easier for me to eat the quantities I want if they're leaner, you know, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, 100%. And I think when it comes to weight loss and using you as an example to where you are now from where you are starting and on that journey, aligning expectations is important. And what I call on my podcasts and books, and I tell people is the zero to one principle. Going from zero to one is so much harder than going from one to 10, meaning the start of any new journey and making it your new normal is always the most difficult part. But to use you as an example, Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. Jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Well, as an inspiration for people who are struggling at some point you will get into that zero to one and then it's just fine tuning from that point onwards but the beginning is always the most difficult part and i think you need to apply a little bit of self-compassion particularly with weight loss because my weight loss clients and i'm definitely biased here based on the people i've worked with but they're some of the hardest people on themselves because they they, they literally categorize themselves into this I'm a bad person bracket because they've eaten certain food and it's just constantly bringing back your thoughts and your mindset. And I, and looking at that going, look, you're not a bad person because you ate a pizza. You're not a bad person because you ate 10 Mars bars after dinner. You just made a food choice that probably put your calories too high for the day. It's cool. We reset and we go again. So it doesn't happen overnight. Like you said, whether that's changing food to become the right automatic food choice when you walk into a grocery store, or you go to a restaurant, or it's, you know, changing your perception of yourself and the way you see guilt and shame and building that confidence and self-esteem. None of it happens overnight. And nobody's saying that it's easy. We're just saying that it's worth it. And if you do it consistently, it will become easier over time. Yeah. Do you, wh- wh- what do you think in, in just the most general terms? And, and again, I, I love your approach because it does seem very individualistic. And I do think there's um, 
so many factors that we can't account for from person to person that is going to change it. So all of this stuff so drastically, um, are there kind of any universals that you talk about that you think would be beneficial? Like if, if people tried this to see if that worked, like, what do you suggest? It's such a weird one because I always have a left field answer when people ask me about this. And I think sleep, I think sleep is a foundation pillar that makes everything else with nutrition, with training, with life in general, feel easier. Meaning that if you're getting high quality sleep, not only are you getting all the hormonal balances from that, because what happens with weight loss, and I don't want to get too deep into kind of the hormonal side, because I tend to lose people on that. But when you have poor quality sleep, either interrupted sleep or just not getting enough in terms of quantity, four or five hours a night, you get these down regulations in, in Important hormones, ghrelin and leptin being two. Your ghrelin, your your leptin, your satiation and hunger hormones. They're literally two signaling pathways that if they're not working well, it is going to make dietary adherence all but impossible because you'll keep eating and won't get the full signal with at the end and you'll be hungry all through the day. So I have found getting focusing on high quality sleep can set you up for success in all these other areas. You also have, when it comes to weight loss in particular, um, what's called niche activity, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. That's what we talked about earlier. The parking further away, step counts, standing desks, moving more, fidgeting. All of these things are non-exercise activity thermogenesis. You also have sex in there, which is one of the fun ones. Like, but gardening is also in there to, to go on both ends of the extreme, depending on where people are coming from and their own personal situations. But they're all niche activities and they can go up. And if you are training or following a resistance program or any sort of gym program or home workout program, if your intensity in that workout is higher, you are either in a cardiovascular workout going to burn more calories because the intensity is higher, or you're going to create more resistance in the actual workout, tearing down more muscle fibers, which will further increase your metabolic rate. And that will help you burn more calories. And the foundation in which that can all be done is high levels of sleep quality. So I think if only... On everything we've talked about in today's podcast for people is look at your sleep quality. Now, these vary and individual needs vary. Like some people need seven hours, some people need eight hours, some people need nine hours plus. There's no one set number, although eight hours is that kind of best practice that people throw around. But the truth is, it's the same as calorie intake. Your calorie intake, Ethan, is different from mine, which is different from somebody else's. And sleep requirements are the same. Sleep requirements aren't always stable. So if you're training and working out and moving more, you're going to need higher levels of sleep than if you're just you know lying and sitting on the couch all day because it's a rest day or a chill day. So that will change. So identify where you need, because sometimes people actually don't need as much as they think. Some people are like, I need eight hours. And actually they get seven and they feel better. And other side, people go up to nine hours and they're like, actually, I need this to stay on top of my diet and to train well and to move well and to be productive and to be focused during the day in my career and my job and whatever it is I'm doing. So I think looking at your sleep quality and not because I was the coach six, seven, eight years ago, who was a traditional fitness coach, training and nutrition were up here and then sleep was down here and then everything else was underneath it. But now I actually have sleep and nutrition side by side. I think training comes under that. It's the next level under. So looking at sleep quality, I think is an important weight loss potential tool to use, but also for any body composition change, whether it's building muscle or just performance in general, I think it's very underutilized and it's probably a conversation more people need to have when it comes to weight loss. Yeah, no, no, it's a it's a great point. You know, uh, when we think about also the higher ends of obesity, that uh, the 
I think I, I, I don't I don't actually know for sure, but I believe a lot of people are suffering, maybe even undiagnosed with sleep, sleep apnea. And so I had that when I was over eight, and and then it was gone when I lost a bunch of weight and and thank God. But um, I was exhausted all the time. And and, you know, I always thought like, well, I'm so big that it takes so much effort to move my body that it just makes me tired. And the truth is that when I started to sleep well, my energy changed and I started losing weight much more rapidly simply because I had more energy to move around during the day. So I completely agree with you. Sleep is is incredibly important, especially if there's factors that you're unaware of that are, you know, you lay in bed for eight hours, you assume I got a good night's sleep. That's not always true. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it. And that's that subjective... I've been in bed for eight hours. That should tick a box. Sometimes you'd actually be better getting six hours of uninterrupted sleep than eight hours where you're waking up every 90 minutes to, you know, turn over or go to the toilet or just whatever it is. And there's a really good book that I like. There's two. And, you know, Matthew Walker does incredible work on this. Um, and Nick Littlehales, they both have books. Why do we sleep or how do we sleep? And Nick Littlehales is, is sleep. His is on um, the 90 minute rim cycles and napping through the day. If that's something you need to use as a tool, which can be helpful. And I think just a slight, you don't need to go too much into the weeds with this. But as you said, just because you're lying in bed for eight hours doesn't necessarily mean you got that high quality sleep. So you're not necessarily getting the benefit. It's the same as going to the gym. You can go to the gym for three hours, but if you're on Instagram for two and a half hours, you didn't do a three hour workout. So, you know, it's just keeping that in mind. Yeah. Amazing. Brian, thank you so much. This has been a really cool conversation. Uh, Pleasure was all mine. Absolute honor to be on Ethan. And thank you so much again for having me. And now for the Q&A. Here's a question from Robert. Hi, Robert. Robert says, I just wanted to say you look awesome. Thanks. Uh, I'm 360, 62, and 31. Okay. I know it's not too late, but I'm a big quitter. I love to eat until I feel gross full. I feel like I could lose 100 pounds. My goal is to climb a 150 feet water tower from my work. Right now, I max out at like 40 feet. I like fasting, but now fire in my stomach demands consumption. With climbing, I should I work on weights and cardio or anything else? And then he asks, is there AA for food addiction or is that just Weight Watchers? Okay, bunch of questions here. Yeah. Robert, there is AA for food addiction. It's called OA. It's not Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers is um, a somewhat different program, but there is AA for food addiction. I've never been to an OA meeting, so I don't know uh, all that much about it, about that. Okay. He wants to – listen, I'm, I got nervous with him talking about climbing this tower – um, simply because like you have to climb back down, which also takes a bunch of energy and strength. And like, uh, if you get too high, um, and you've like, if you shoot, if you, if you max out, if you go to failure going up and you can't get back down, like that would really suck. Um, and it's, it sounds very dangerous too. So I got a little bit nervous even hearing about that. But I would suspect with anything like this, just if you maintain strength but lowered your body weight, that would make a massive difference in your ability to climb up a water tower, I would think. 
Um, and so the resistance training I would do would just be to preserve muscle mass. Um, and, and he sounds like a big guy who's also kind of active. And so he probably has a ton of muscle mass to preserve. I'm not a fan of fasting because I think it's kind of sold with a little bit of a lie, which is when it's been explained to me by people who are super, super zealots about intermittent fasting. They're like, you can eat whatever you want in this period of time and it doesn't matter and you'll always lose weight because autophagy. And it's like, that's not true at all. That's just not true. The whole thing that happens is it's kind of hard for some people to consume more calories in that small window than their body needs. And so they're in a caloric deficit. Um, and uh, some people enjoy a limited feeding window because it is harder to consume a huge amount in a short period of time. And therefore, you know, they're losing weight and that's a decent strategy for them. But the people who I know who have done it long-term for massive weight loss always get to the point where they then start gaining weight because um, over time, uh, in order to continue losing weight, you probably have to reduce your calories some more. And you're not doing that just unknowingly. Like, uh, for instance, Kevin Smith, he did intermittent fasting, lost a bunch of weight, then started to gain weight again and was still intermittent fasting and was like, what the fuck is happening? And he gained it while he was fasting. Yeah. Okay. Not fasting, intermittent, intermittent fasting. fasting. Right. Yes. Like fasting to me is like you've gone three days without eating food. You're right. not gaining weight in that period of time. But over a long period of time, if you're eating for four hours a day every day, you can certainly eat. You can certainly overeat. It's possible to overeat in four hours, right? Sure. And if you're thinking about losing 100 pounds, at some point, right? Like if you go into a caloric deficit today and you lose 50 pounds, the caloric deficit you need to lose the next 50 pounds is even less than you've been eating. Uh -huh. Right. So that doesn't just you just don't miraculously accidentally do that. So intermittent fasting, when it doesn't take that into account, is a lie. Right. Yeah. I mean, no, I get it. Now, if somebody accidentally did do that and lost all the weight, that's what happened. They reduced their calories. Then they reduced again, unbeknownst to them because they were like in this window. But it's you can do that without that window doesn't actually get you anything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not, there's no miracle to it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I'm not, that's why I'm not a fan of it. Yeah. Now, gotcha. if somebody came to me and they said, I'm able to get into a caloric deficit much easier in this four hour window, if that's the only time I'm eating. And I realized that you know, a few months from now, once I've lost a bunch of weight, I'm going to have to reduce my calories again from what I'm eating now in order to lose the rest of the weight. Then I go like, okay, that's a good strategy because it's useful to you. But mm -hmm. if you're, if you're not going into it, like with, it's this magical thing where if you only eat for four hours, you lose a bunch of weight. That's bullshit. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a, it, it could be, um, perhaps like a jump start for someone or a good first step, but maybe isn't. I wouldn't sell it to that like that to anyone okay. because as Robert said, 
he likes to eat to the point of being sick, basically. Right. So right, did right, I. Right. Yeah. A guy like that, who's yeah. a big dude, can very easily steamroll through whatever allotment of whatever amount of energy his body needs for that day in four hours. Mm-hmm. I can easily consume more calories than my body needs today in a four hour window easily. Right. So I would never even suggest this is a good jump start because if you're eating more than you need, you're going to gain weight. Right. If you're eating as much as you need in that four hour window, you're not going to lose weight. So where is the benefit to that? Mm-hmm. Okay. No, that makes sense. I'm glad I asked you that. If you're thinking about it, like, um, I can't consume more than I'm not going to consume more than whatever. If getting into a caloric deficit for an individual is eating 2000 calories in a day and they go, well, I can spread this out very thin all day long and eat chicken and broccoli, right? Or whatever, um, over 12 or 16 hours, or I can eat, you know, two double doubles and a large fries and have a Coke. And that's all I eat every day. And I eat it over the course of four hours, right? Mm-hmm. Fine. I personally think that's less nutrient dense than chicken mm-hmm. and broccoli or whatever you eat throughout the day to get mm-hmm. to 2000 calories, if that's what your body needs for a deficit. Right. Um, but whatever, you know, there've been bodybuilders who did like a Twinkie diet and went and ate only Twinkies and kept their cow tracked the amount of energy the Twinkies had and made sure it was less than they needed. And they lost weight. They didn't mm-hmm. feel great, but they lost weight. So whatever, if that's what you want to do, totally fine. Yeah. If you need to continue eating chocolate cake and that's all you're going to eat every day in order to lose weight, totally fine because you're rationalizing that it's within a four hour window, but you're, you know, whatever, but it's not, there's nothing magical about that. Yeah. Um, that's why I would not recommend it. The best I've felt is, um, you know, consuming low to moderate uh, fats, moderate carbs, and high protein. Mm-hmm. That's the best I've felt. I don't think that everybody has to do that. Some people like more fat, less carbs. Totally fine. That doesn't really matter as long as you're in an energy deficit. Right. And if you want to do something super active that takes upper and lower body strength, I would use resistance training to maintain muscle mass while in that deficit. I wouldn't do a massive deficit at all. I would trim 500 calories. I would suggest he figures out how many calories keep him in maintenance, right? Live his life, take a couple of weeks, type into Google uh, any calorie calculator, type in all your information. It'll give you a number. That number might not be exact. So you take a couple of weeks of trial and error to figure out if it is. If you consume those many calories every day and you lose weight, then you know that you need more calories. If you consume those many calories every day and you gain weight, then you know it's too many. So you figure it out. But over some period of time, once you have that figured out, you then shave off a couple hundred or 500 every day and you'll lose weight. It's maybe a little bit slower than you want it to be. But that, in my um, experience, has 
been more successful for me. Right. Okay. That's great. Thank you for that. It's a pretty comprehensive answer. And I hope that that gives Robert some guidance. Yeah. I think thanks, it will. Robert. Yeah. Thanks, Robert, for sending that in. Ethan, thank you. And if anyone else has a question they would like answered on this podcast, you can always email it to us day or night at AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>